0: Well, good morning, Calvary family. Welcome to those of you who are in the room with us today. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online. If you are still out in the lobby, we invite you to make your way in as we get ready to worship together. Um, So today is a hard day for many of us, um, but we, at least I, am rejoicing to be here together as a church family. Scripture tells us, Jesus tells us, really, that uh, the Holy Spirit is the great comforter. And Scripture also tells us that, uh, that the Spirit inhabits our praises. And so what that says to me is that worship, especially corporate worship, is a very comforting and healing thing. And so that is why I rejoice that we are here together. I'm going to invite you to stand as we enter into worship today. I'm going to kick us off by, by um, just sharing our scripture reading for today, and then we will move into a couple of songs. So our, our passage for today is 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. And I'm just going to read through this, and I invite you to follow along. Um, the words are going to be on the screen. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And you rejoice in this, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, That the proven character of your faith may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy. Because, because you are receiving the goal of your faith. The salvation of your souls. And we invite you to sing together with us this morning.
1: Come and stand before your maker, full of wonder, full of fear. Come behold his power and glory, yet with confidence draw near. the beloved of the lord one with everlasting kindness fought with sacrificial blood i Just
0: together. We have a few church life updates to share with you, so check out this video.
2: My name is Jordan Baker, and I'm one of the ministry staff members here at Calvary. Can I ask you to do me a quick favor? If it's your first time here, or if you've been coming for a while, whether in person or online, but you want some more information about Calvary, can you text the word welcome to this number right here? And for those of you who've been coming for a long time or maybe your whole life, don't worry, I've got something to ask you as well. Can you text the word PRAY to this number right here? We as a ministry staff and I know our elder team, we love to pray for you each week. It's one of the highlights of our week, but it's really hard for us to pray for you specifically if we don't know what to pray for. So if you will text the word PRAY to this number and let us know how we can be praying alongside you or celebrating with you, that would be awesome. And for those of you who want a way to give online, don't worry, we've got something for you as well. Text the word GIVE to this number, and you'll receive a link on how to give online.
3: Good morning, Calvary. My name is Bobby Lee Barr, and let me again welcome you to those of you who are joining us online and joining us here in person today. Uh, I have the joy of, of sharing with you that we have four brothers and sisters in Christ who have pursued becoming members of Calvary. And as I'm sharing, I would love to invite them up here right now with me. Uh, We often use these words interchangeably, right? The word member and partner, and ultimately they're connected to the same thing. Um, They are are indicators and identifiers of how we are connected in relationship um, and in relationship with not only the local church, but more than that, His body. Uh, and so both of these families here have, have um, pursued this opportunity. And, and if you are interested in finding out more about what it looks like to become a member of Calvary, I would love for you to email me and contact me. I would love for us to be able to talk more in that in a personal way. So standing next to me, first I have Doug and Sarah Lawan, and you may remember last month they uh, celebrated, and we celebrated alongside them, their baptism in the name of the Lord. And, uh, and as they are continuing to walk alongside the Calvary family, they have recently started an uh, adult Bible fellowship class, CORE, and, and Sarah actually is, is diving into our Calvary Kids Zoom class. And then on my right, I have Don and Susie Wright with their kids, Cameron and Jaden. And Don and Susie have been with us for an over a year now. And you may recognize Susie as one of our more recent additions to the worship team. And, and both Cameron and Jaden are a part of Calvary Kids and Calvary Students. So um, if you would just join me in celebrating alongside them that they are becoming members of the Calvary family. So I ask in the coming week that if you would just take some time to connect with each of them, uh, we have their contact information available, and we just encourage you to send them a personal note, uh, an email, or something, just uh, celebrating with them and rejoicing that they are a part of, of the Calvary family, the Calvary body. Uh, so I have a gift for each of you, but I would also just love to be able to pray for you right now, so if you will commit this time um, for our new members in prayer. Heavenly Father... What a privilege it is to have your presence in us and with us. And we are grateful for the honor of celebrating your kingdom and celebrating your people. And Lord, I specifically pray for Doug, Sarah, and Dawn, and Susie. I pray that as your body, we continue to strive in your strength and growing and maturing in your name. Lord, our hearts are convicted knowing that not only are we a part of your body, but you have called us to be intentional and walk alongside one another. And Lord, may we encourage, love, support, and challenge one another in a way that glorifies you and your kingdom. We pray these things in your name. Amen.
4: Thanks so much, Bobby Lee, and uh, formally welcome to Little Wands and uh, to the Wrights. We're so glad that they have chosen to uh, partner with us in, the, in this family. You know, family is, uh, is important. We talk about how Calvary is a family, not because it sounds like it's something cool and warm to say, but because it's a fact that in Scripture we're referred to as the family of God. And in families, there are times of incredible joy, Right? You have those in your own individual families. Things that you celebrate like birthdays and weddings and accomplishments. And then there are times where in each family, there are times of sadness. There are times of pain. There are times of loss. And as a family this week, we experienced that in a very deep and uh, difficult way. Many of you know that uh, you either learned through because of your relationships or perhaps you heard through our our e-prayer alert that in our family, uh, we lost someone. Uh, On Wednesday, Andrew Comstock, who's the youngest child of Brett and Pam Comstock, died tragically and unexpectedly. And that loss, as you can imagine, for Brett, for Pam, for their four other children is nearly unbearable. We are called in scripture to do those things that I just talked about, right? To rejoice with those who rejoice, but also to mourn with those who mourn. One translation says, when others are happy, be happy with them. And when they are sad, be sad. And we are sad. We are mourning. We are grieving, not without hope, but we are mourning. We don't have to apologize for that. In fact, I would encourage us to lean into that. God meets us in that place of brokenness, of loss, of grief, and of mourning. Brett and Pam and their family have been blown away by the unbelievable show of love, support, uh, encouragement, prayer, provision that, uh, that their Calvary family and others certainly, but specifically their Calvary family has demonstrated to them on more than one occasion with tears in their eyes and with their voice choking up, they have just thanked uh, some of us who have been in contact with them. But the thanks really go to you, you, the family of God, for the love and support that you've, you are, have provided, are providing, and will provide during this time. We, we wanted to take some time this morning in, the, in today's service to pray together. And we reached out to three people specifically to, to pray uh, with us and for us, and that we might together as a family look to God in this time. And so I'm going to invite them up on the stage uh, with me right now. Uh, Leanne Wendell is going to be coming to pray. And uh, Leanne, of course, has a a great friendship with with Pam and the family, and so she's been more than willing to do this. Mike Giffen is coming as well. Mike and his family specifically have a very strong friendship uh, with the Comstocks. And then uh, Andrew's youth pastor, our youth pastor, uh, Phil, is going, to, uh, is going to pray this morning as well. And so I encourage you, if you want to bow your heads, if you want to kneel in your seats uh, there, and, um, and however you would want to pray alongside, with, pray together uh, with those who will be leading us, uh, you do how the Lord leads. And uh, we're just asking God to be with us in this moment. And we're going to start by allowing Le- Leanne to get us going. Thank you, Leanne.
5: Thanks.
6: father will'm sorry father will we ever truly um, understand the enormous privilege it is to come before your throne the throne of grace Lord and we do come. Today, not boldly, but today grieving for our friends. Father, I, I thank you for the promises of your word that, that we know are true, and we know that are upholding Brett and Pam and the children. Father, I do lift them up before you. I pray in these, these dark days that the truth of your word is going forth, that you are their shield, that you are their protector, that you are their comfort, that, Lord, you are going before them and behind them and beside them and within them, Lord, that you are leading them through these very dark dark waters. But you are there. Your word is true. I thank you for their faith that has been demonstrated over and over in these last days. Father, I do bring before you especially Grace, and Gabe, Luke, and Caleb, the siblings of, of Andrew. I ask, Lord, that you would put a hedge of protection around them, their hearts, their minds, Lord, as they are whirling and grieving in this unexpected loss. Father, would you just... Would you just comfort them, envelop them in your arms, let them them, um, just feel your presence. I pray for Brett, the head of the home, the father, the husband, who has such responsibility in in leading his family, Lord, with a heart that is devastated. Father, would you just um, be with him as he allows us family to grieve in their own ways in the, the, the different processes of, um, of grief, would you just give him wisdom and discernment, Lord, um, to minister to the needs of each one while he himself is um, clinging to you. And Lord, I bring before you my dear friend Pam, Mama, and I just ask, Lord, that you would comfort her. I thank you for her. For, the, for her faith, for her, the, the love that she has for you. I just pray, Lord, that you will, um, again, give her that comfort that only you can give, the peace that passes all understanding. And we just pray that you would give us, Lord, as a church family, um, wisdom in, in ministering to them, not only, as Pastor said, in the days ahead, but the weeks and months and even years ahead. Lord, I thank you, That without a doubt, Andrew knew you. And that although he is absent from the body, he is present with you. Lord, death has no sting. It has no victory. The victory is yours um, in Jesus. And I thank you for that. That we have this hope that anchors our soul. The hope that is Jesus. And so I commit them to you, Lord. I commit them in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus.
7: Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, this morning um, with glory and praise. Um, We are in a battle, God. We are in a battle um, with with the spirit of darkness, and we just ask you, God, for your courage and strength to help us to rise above, to focus on the light and to be strong and courageous and to to get up each and every day uh, as much as we may not want to, but to get up, get up, and to uh, know that you are with us. Doubt can be a chain that binds us down, but faith is stronger than that, it can break those chains. Help us, Lord, as a family um, to uh, um, nurture these kids, uh, to fight for these kids. Um, you know, it's, it's hard. It's hard. You said it was going to be hard. It's hard to, to walk in this world, to stay focused, And to uh, um, keep that straight and narrow path ahead of us. Um, Just help us, God, in all ways to uh, um, communicate, to talk. You know, Satan is the master of secrets and and lies and deceit. And uh, by your power and strength, we can can fight through those and uh, unite as a family, um, as a body of Christ. And just help us, God, to uh, heal. Um, healing is is needed right now. Um, amidst the darkness that happened earlier this week, I witnessed something on Thursday that was just remarkable. <clears throat> All those kids that were at our house—they started out just just. Blankness and mourning and scared and and as the day progressed, the healing started. We need to get together. We need to stay together and work with each other and 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 lean on each other. Um, and uh, just our hope is in you, Lord. Um, in times of despair, uh, we got to get up. People pick each other up and just help us to stay focused on the truth. And the truth is that you are our Lord and Savior, and you will be there for us through the end. I also pray, Lord, for, um, you know, Pastor Phil and Jordan Baker, the shepherds of these kids, help them, God, in all that they do uh, moving forward. Um, Please give them courage and strength. Um, Along with us parents, we don't always know what to say, and we need you, Lord, to uh, work through us one day at a time one day at a time just help us god and we love you very much we put our faith in you in jesus name we pray
8: david promises to us that the lord is with the brokenhearted he rescues those whose spirits are crushed and we come before you today crushed uh, we are heartbroken for the Comstocks, for our students and their families, um, and I'm so grateful for the call on my life that there's no other place that I would want to be but in the family of God and working with students. Um, but I confess that uh, I know that there are students all over the world who are hurting and broken and crushed. I confess that uh, I considered my uh, pain and discomfort over the last nine months uh, to be similar uh, to what our students are going through and experiencing. And it's not. Um, I've walked through valleys before and loneliness and difficult times and difficult days and have been equipped for the struggle, and I uh, plead on behalf of students all over the world uh, who struggle through online learning and grades falling and a lack of focus and a struggle uh, to go, um, who are struggling with loneliness and stress and anxiety and depression an uncertainty about life and a confusion of what's going on around them. God, I thank you for the hope that we have, but I know that there are so many in this world who don't have that hope. God, I pray that the church would be a place that comes alongside students to walk with them through their confusion and through their pain and through their difficulties. And I pray that there would be uh, students all over the world who have unrelated adults who care about them. People who will step into their pain without knowing uh, how or what to say or what to do. And I know that's where I feel myself right now. God, I know that you are good, and I thank you for the hope that we have. I thank you that Jeremiah reminds us as he laments that your mercies are new every morning and that there is strength for each day because you walk beside us in our hurt and in our pain, and I thank you for that hope. And I pray that the church would be the church and that there would not be a person in this world... uh, who would not be aware of the hope that comes because of Christ. I thank you for your Son who steps into our pain, who steps into our brokenness and came to earth to live and to die so that we can have hope. God, I thank you for the hope that we have today and I pray for your strength for the coming days. But I pray for eyes to see the hurting and lost around us. That we can walk with them. That we can step into their hurts, step into their loneliness, and point them to hope that's in you. As we struggle um, and hurt with the Comstocks over the coming days, maybe we be reminded of the hope that we have. And though we're hurting now, There's a foundation that you have built underneath us that will allow us to stand up under it in the days to come. And we look forward to those days. But may we be comforted by you while we wait. God, we love you and we are grateful for the hope that we have through Christ.
4: Good, good Father, you, you have heard and you hear and you will hear our prayers. Maybe, maybe even more importantly, as a good Father does, you see our heart. You know how, well, how we're feeling. And we're just asking you to be present with us, Lord, in an unusually loving way. We thank you for the body of Christ, the family of God. We thank you that they're they're filled with love and compassion. They do have a genuine desire with grieve, to grieve with those who are grieving, to be sad with those who are sad. We pray that we might continue to lean into that, and as has been prayed by nearly everyone, God, we. We ask that you would turn our, turn our hearts in the midst of this loss, turn our minds, turn our focus toward that hope, the hope that we have in Jesus, in life and even in death. Thank you, God. We lift this up to you together as your children. In the name of Jesus, the one who saves, amen.
0: Without you, we would be lost. And so now I pray for our brother Dave as he comes to teach us from your word. May your spirit fill his mind and his words. And may our spirits be soft to hear what you would have us to hear today. For your honor and glory. Amen.
4: Amen. Thanks so much, Emma and the worship team and to all of those uh, who prayed uh, on with, with me on stage, so appreciated. Good morning, and welcome again to uh, to our worship service. We're so glad that whether you're in person or you're online, that you uh, have chosen to be with us today, and we pray that God has already been moving in in your life uh, through our music and worship and through our time of prayer. We do want to turn our attention uh, back into the Gospel of John. Uh, we have been working our way through that, and uh, we uh, began chapter 6 last week. Chapter 6 began about, most likely about six months after uh, the end of chapter 5. So when you flip the page, uh, you traverse about a half a year in the life of Jesus. And we have a transition from uh, Jesus in, in movement from, from, uh, from Galilee to, to Bethsaida. And they have, there's a great crowd that follows Jesus. Uh, they're following him because they had... Witness the miraculous signs. And of course, we know we've already encountered so much about this uh, this sign thing. We're going to see some more of it today. And the signs, uh, the scripture says, specifically related to Jesus and healing the sick. And so there was a great crowd there. And most likely, uh, specifically the word says 5,000 men. And so that probably means about 20,000 people were there. And Jesus in John's account of this event says to his disciples, actually to Philip specifically, he says, hey, uh, where are we going to get these people something to eat? And of course, Philip is somewhat, you know, like blown away by such a ridiculous question because he says, you know, like a half a year's wages for a lot of people wouldn't buy enough just to give everyone like a smidge, a bite, a crumb. And so we see then Jesus take something very little uh, and, and he had uh, a few loaves and a couple of fish, and scripture says that he took them, and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, that he, he gave to the disciples who kept on giving, and this miracle of multiplication took place so much so, not that, so that everyone could have just a little bit, but scripture says, as much as they wanted. So, after that uh, event was over, of course, of course, what a dramatic miracle that was, a, a dramatic sign that was, one of the signs that John wants us this try and again point us to this reality of, of the identity of Jesus. So, Jen, then Jesus, according to verse 15 of chapter 6, he withdrew to a mountain by himself. And after he had withdrawn to the mountain, later that evening, the disciples set off on the lake for Capernaum, kind of like, you know, Capernaum is kind of like the home base uh, for Jesus. He's probably got a special affinity for and a a special ministry in, in the synagogue in Capernaum. And so... They set off the, uh, on the lake of Galilee uh, to head to Capernaum, and there's a, there's a storm that comes up. There's a storm and winds, and so much so that Scripture says that in some of the parallel passages that they are in torture on the oars since, since their sail was of no use in these strong winds. They're in torture on the oars while they're being tortured by the waves themselves, and Jesus all of a sudden comes to them walking on the water and, and, and they think it's a ghost and they're, they're terrified. Of course, they're kind of at wit's end anyway, thinking they might, might drown and Jesus isn't around. And so as he walks to them, he says to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Eventually he gets into the boat with them and uh, as he gets into the boat, the scripture says in some of the parallel accounts in Matthew and in Mark that, that there, the winds die down, the lake becomes calm, and in John, we have the instantaneous transportation of the boat simultaneously, or instantaneously, I'm sorry, uh, the boat is transported uh, to its destination. So we have the, the calming of the, of the lake, the tra- instantaneous transportation of the, of the boat, and also, of course, the walking on the water. So it's kind of a three-in-one miracle. Well, then we pick up the story today in verse 22. In verse 22, I'm going to read, uh, begin by reading verses 22 through 25. And if you, uh, if you want to bring that up on your device, uh, I'm using the Christian Standard Bible if you want to choose that translation or whatever one uh, you prefer. So let me start by reading those uh, uh, four verses together. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat, they also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone, just like John described. Some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. When the crowd saw that neither saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, "Rabbi, when did you get here? And, then, and when, when they say that, when they ask him that question, Jesus then begins to interact with them. And what's going to happen in this interaction with them is he's going to kind of uh, issue a challenge. And then after he issues the challenge uh, to them, as it often exists in the ministry of Jesus, there's kind of a Q&A that's going to develop. And I love when there's Q&As that develop with the person of Jesus because he does such an amazing job of cutting through what sometimes are answers that are, that, that people are, uh, the questions they're asking that they think are are so insightful, and Jesus cuts through them to actually give them the truth. And we, we see that in his that interaction with some of his disciples. We see that, saw that in his interaction in this very book in chapter four with a Samaritan woman at the well, and we're going to see it today as he interacts with this crowd. So they come to him, finding him, and they say, Rabbi, when did you get here? And he immediately begins by saying something that John often shows that Jesus says. I've, said, I've shared with you before that, that 25 times in John's gospel, and in John's gospel alone, there's this double emphatic of amen, amen. And it's this idea of listen, you know, listen to this, take note of this. This is something really important that you're not going to want to miss, Oftentimes in our, Bible, in our English Bibles, it's either truly, truly I say to you or just as I have here in the New American Standard Translation. Uh, some of you will remember from the, uh, if you're still a user of the King James Version or you were at one point, verily, verily I say unto you is what, what that, the way that would flow. And that, those, that's like, it's the reason that it's used by John is because of the emphasis that he's trying uh, for his readers to, to get the message that Jesus is sharing with the people. And Jesus, in fact, in the original intent is that they would understand the importance of what he's about to share with them. So as he says this, truly, truly listen to this. Now, you're not going to want to miss this. Would it be wrong for us to say that in the same way Jesus said to those original hearers, truly, truly listen up, Then maybe we could say to each other as we look into God's word in this today, hey, truly, truly, listen up. This is something worth hearing. This is truth from the Savior. And if the Savior says, take note of it. If our rabbi, if our master, if our Lord, if our Savior says, take note of it, then maybe we should take note of it. The first thing he's going to do, like I said, is issue this challenge. He's going to challenge their motive. Remember, they're coming from the place where they've just experienced this incredible miracle. Truly, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs. You're not even looking for me because you saw the signs and your minds have been changed toward belief. But what does he say? But because you ate the loaves and were filled. One commentator commentator says it this way. The crowd wants to follow a prophet who provides free food and political deliverance. That's what they're hoping for. Ooh, does that bring a little bit true to us in today's culture? The competing agendas, the heart of Jesus. Jesus was not going to be another prophet in the form of Moses and what they were hoping for. That's what they were hoping for, the new Moses, the one who would provide for us the way Moses provided for us in the wilderness, Remember? even though they grumbled about the stuff they got in the wilderness when they left Egypt, when they got that bread, and we're going to even see that in the rest of this passage. When they got that quail, when they got that water, and they're like, well, maybe this is the one that's going to deliver us in the way Moses delivered us from Egypt. We're going to be delivered. After all, he's given us free food just like Moses did. Jesus challenges that. So he challenges their motive for why why they're looking for him. Then he challenges the overall focus of their life. He says to them, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What you're striving for, what you're working for, what you're focused on, why you're coming to see me, The focus of that is wrong. Your motive's wrong and your focus is wrong. You don't understand what I'm really here to provide. You have no idea. So I'm gonna tell you to work for something different. And so this thus begins as the crowd interacts. And I don't know if this was individuals in the crowd like piping up with a question or if they like, you know, surveyed the crowd and they took the best questions and asked them. I don't know how this Q&A is going exactly. But at some level, there's a Q&A that develops and the first question that the people ask is, well, well what can we do? What can little, what do, what do we do to perform the works of God? That seems like a, actually seems like a, a reasonable question. You're talking about that we should not work for food that perishes, but instead we should work for food that lasts for eternal life. And so they ask Jesus and he gives them a very direct answer. And it turns us to the heart of the gospel. This is really what we understand the gospel to be. Jesus says, this is the work of God for you. You want to know what the work of God for you you to do? That you believe in the one he has sent. Do you remember the passage I read last week from John chapter twenty, where we were talking about the signs that Jesus was doing? And, and John says that those signs—there's so many, so many that I haven't recorded. John says that God hasn't inspired me to record, but the ones that I have recorded are there so that you would what? This very thing, believe. Jesus is simply trying to help people, and that's why he says to them, you're coming not because you saw the signs and you think that, that you want to put your faith in me, but you're simply coming for something that would ultimately benefit you in the here and the now. It's this competing agenda that we're always dealing with as human beings. How do we take our focus off what is here and now and set it on the things of God, right? It's that difficult struggle for us because this is what we experience. We're born, we, we die, we live, we go, through, we go to work, we go to school, we, have, we get married, we have children, all those kind of things, we, the things of this life, and it's not that the things of this life are not, are not good, and they are incredible gifts to us, but at the same time, Jesus was driving us toward this other thing. That's a, with a different motive and with a different focus, and so he answers them very directly. This is what the is. This is the work that God would have you do. The only work that He would have you do emerges from a place of faith, a belief in the One that He has sent. Well, that prompts, of course, another question. Now, it's a very interesting question. It almost should make most of us kind of shake our heads. Like, why are you asking this question? They say, hey, okay, well, what sign are you going to give us? What sign then are you going to do so that we may see the sign and believe in you? And you're like, what? You are there. You followed him. Why? Because you saw the sign of the, of the multiplication of the, of the bread. You, and bread, bread and loaves, the, multiple, you know, the great feeding of the, of the 20,000. You're following him because you saw that, and you were there at that meal because you had seen the miracles that he had done with the sick. So now they're saying, what sign are you going to do? It's like, I, I, I'm like, I, when you read this, I'm like, what? That's, what's wrong with you? How could you ask such a thing? Ironically, they, had, they, they were there because of the signs they had experienced. But they missed the point. Remember what these signs are. Again, how many times have we come back to this word? It's such an essential aspect, uh, essential characteristic and, and, and feature of the Gospel of John. That very word that's already been used twice here, (laughs) simeon, it's an indication, it's a mark, it's a token, it's a sign. It's something by which Jesus is being distinguished from all others and is known. And what is John trying to help people to understand? This is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the son of the living God. And so in him you should what? Believe. It's that simple. And yet even the signs that he's done up to now All of the ones that were recorded in John, the ones that he probably did around all of those that were recorded in John, the ones that are kind of referenced in kind of generic terms like the healing of the sick, but we don't know how how much of that happened there. That's what's trying, that's what Jesus is trying to accomplish in doing these signs, is that they would believe. Then they even get a little bit more gutsy. Not only do they say to him, what sign are you going to do then so that we can believe? They're like, well, listen, buddy, what work are you doing? Wow. And again, some of these questions are asked kind of out of ignorance, right? They really don't know. It's kind of like Jesus had many times in his ministry could say, you really don't know to whom you are speaking. (laughs) What work are you performing? What work are you going to do? Because after all, and here's that reference, here's, here's the understanding of their thinking he's the new Moses. Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. At the time when Jesus was on earth, it's interesting to note that the average person of faith, in, in average Jewish person who had faith in, in Jesus' day actually believed it was more the work of Moses that provided for Israel in the wilderness instead of the work of God. There's a bit of a misunderstanding there. That's why they're asking Jesus about this sign. That's why they're coming to him because of the free food and the political deliverance, because they see Jesus in the same way that they would have seen Moses. And again, they're wrong. They don't understand that. What does Jesus say to them? Remember what he said at the, at, at the beginning, truly, truly, I say to you. In verse 32, he continues, truly, truly, I say to you. Very same thing, amen, amen. One of those 25 occurrences in the Gospel of John. Truly, I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven. He's correcting something. This isn't Jesus correcting something that doesn't need corrected. Jesus would never say something without a purpose, right? Right? So he's correcting them in their wrong belief. Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus is having to clarify how the provision of this manna that came to them in the wilderness actually got to them. It was God, not Moses, who provided it for Israel. And now we see, like in the the same spirit of the the book of Hebrews where Jesus is represented as the new and better, fill in the blank, right? He's the new and better everything. Here we see that Jesus is not the new and better Moses. That's really not what he's saying. He's the new and better manna. That's what he's going to help them to understand. Truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. This is a self-reference. The bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And of course, when they hear that, even though they're probably their focus, even though their motive, even though their understanding is probably off, they're like, we'll have some of that bread. Absolutely, give us some. Who wouldn't want that? It's kind of like when somebody says to me, chocolate chip cookies, what do I say? Yes, please, I'll take two, or six, or a dozen, or whatever you can spare. I don't care. They'll go to good use in my mouth and in my tummy. I'll, be, I'll love them. Yes, please. Sir, give us this bread always. <laughs> the dramatic encounter that Jesus is having with these people, it, we learn so much. And then Jesus turns the conversation, and what's so interesting is we have three of the most important elements in the Gospel of John all found in this passage. I mentioned the one, right? Amen, amen. Truly, truly. Tw- over twenty, uh, about twenty-five times the Gospel of John, and in his Gospel alone. I mentioned the, the Simeon, right? The word, the sign. That's there. And here comes that third, very important feature of Do- of John. Jesus begins by saying, "I am. I am." When Jesus used this phrase, it would have had a particular significance to the first century Jewish listener. God revealed himself to Moses with a resounding I am in Exodus chapter three. We've already seen Jesus say these words in so many, in in, in different manner in in verse uh, 26 of chapter four when he said to the woman at the well, I am he. He was, that he was the one who was, who was the living water. He said to his disciples, it is I, in, in chapter 6, verse 20, when he was walking to them on the lake, and they thought he was a ghost, and they were afraid. And now, Jesus says, one of the first of seven statements in the Gospel of John, identifying who he is by using this phrase, Amy, I am. I am, I am who I am, I will be who I will be. That's the phrase here, and it's a, it's, a phrase, it's divine language, And so Jesus is saying to them, when he talks about this bread, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Continuing, Jesus says, everyone the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. The bread of life the bread of life could be understood in, in, in more ways than one. The, the phrase of life is in the genitive, which means uh, not, not necessarily that you hear something like, oh, okay, I understand exactly what that means. But it, it just uh, because it is in the genitive, it's a bit imprecise as to exactly what this means when Jesus says bread of life. But it means something like this. So maybe a way to translate it would be a life, a, a quote, life kind of bread. In other words, John might be meaning here that, as God's inspiring him to share this, that, that this is bread that gives life, or it's bread that is itself alive. The fact, I, I would suggest to you that both are true. Jesus is the bread that gives life, and Jesus is life. He is already, we already know that he has identified himself as having life in himself. And so when, we, when he refers to himself as a life kind of bread, he's saying, I am alive, I am the most fully alive being in, the, in the, all of creation and I am here to give you life. Both are true and John likely intends his readers to understand both. So what does Jesus say about the fact that he is the bread of life? Well number one, it's clear that this is from the Father. In the same way the manna, the quail, the water came not from Moses but came from God so Jesus is coming from the Father. And what is he here to do? He's here to do the will of the Father. He refers to that in those, uh, those verses that I just read. He's not here to do his own will, but he's here to do the will of his Father. And Jesus will lose none of those, right? The will of the Father is that Jesus would lose none of those that were given to him. And he also says that it very clearly in verse 40, if you remember what that said, this is the will of my Father that everyone who sees, remember what did they say? What does the crowd say? What sign are you going to do that we can see the sign and believe in you? Jesus understands that, that what he, the reason that he's doing his ministry and the manner that he's doing it is he wants them to see the son, see himself as the bread of life and believe in him so that they will have eternal life, that they will be raised up on that last day. And that's the third thing about this gift of the bread of life The bread of life has a life impact on us both now and forever. No one who comes to him will ever be hungry. No one who believes in him will ever be thirsty. Both of these expressions are in the emphatic with the use of the double negative. It's actually not quite as emphatic as Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well when he talked about how he was the living water, not the bread of life, but the living water, and that no one who who, uh, drank of that water would ever thirst again. That one, in that reference in chapter four with the Samaritan woman, that John uses the double negative, but he also has an adverb that's attached to it which actually increases the emphasis of the double negative so that it would be never not at any time would you ever be thirsty after having me as water. The heart of it is what Jesus is trying to do is whether you want to think of Him as the water of life or the bread of life, He is here to fulfill your life. And I know chocolate chip cookies are great. I love a good cup of coffee. Maybe you're dreaming right now about that burger you're going to have in just a little bit. But the food that satisfies is the person of Jesus Himself. That's our life because he is life, and he wants to give us life. Not just now, but yes, right now, we can experience life now. I don't think it would bother them for me to tell you this. Brett and Pam and their kids experience something unspeakable. Are walking through this with an incredible realization that they are still people of life and I personally have been so impacted by them in that. They truly have eaten of this bread. Amen. Unfortunately, in this divine action of the giving of the bread of life, the human response, unfortunately, is negative to a large degree. You've seen me, Jesus says in verse 36, right? You've seen me, you've seen what I do, you've seen who I am, and yet you do not believe. John was inspired to write the gospel in a particular way he did so that people would believe, right? But unfortunately, there are many who do not believe. The gift of the bread of life is missed by many people. If you were here last week or you watched online, you remember this image. I used it to kind of capture the moment that Peter was going down in the water as he walked out to Jesus. And he said, Lord, what do he say? Save me. It takes the revelation of, the, of God himself to open up our eyes that we actually are sinking. And we need a Savior that we actually are hungry no matter what our diet looks like. And we need the bread of life. No matter how well hydrated in the physical that we are, we need the living water that is Jesus. That is our only hope. He is our only hope. Sometimes I stand, share these things about Jesus and I wish there was some way that individually I could connect with every person in the room. Because I know my ability in no way is is such that that it always resonates 100% with every person. How much I wish and I actually pray that God would open the eyes and the hearts and the minds and the wills of every person in this room and online to say those same words that were said by, Jesus, uh, said by Peter. Lord, save me, fill me. And we know that when we respond in that manner, right, everyone who sees the Son and believes will have eternal life. So I implore you, walk in that truth. that truth of the bread of life. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, by your grace and mercy, You have given us the gift of your son. And by your grace and mercy, you have shown us who he is. Just in this one specific gospel, Lord, just in this one specific passage, we see so much about his identity. That he is the I am. He is the bread of life. And that we dare not miss that. Truly, truly, he says these things to us. I pray, God, that for each of us, we might respond in the manner that would be your will for us, that you would open our eyes to receive by faith the truth that Jesus came to be the sacrificial gift to pay the penalty for our sin, to die the death that we should have died so that we might be able to live the life that you want us to live and receive eternal life through him. God, turn our hearts toward him. Help us, Lord, as a community, as a family, as your people, to forever keep the priority of living our lives with the focus of what we receive through the gift of God more than the things of this world. Don't allow us to get off task, Lord, or off target or off mission. We, we thank you that Jesus never left his mission and that as a result of his incredible commitment to it, we are the beneficiaries. And so God today, some in this moment today and maybe throughout this week, specifically as we maybe bite into that sandwich or whatever it might be at lunch, or as we take that break tomorrow or get up in the morning and have something to eat, we pray that those, those things, those very normative things that we do on a regular basis would be reminders to us that Jesus is our bread of life. It's in his great name that we pray. Amen. Folks, I wanna thank you so much uh, for being here today. Uh, I wanna to thank you for your grace and giving us a little bit of extra time this morning. Uh, I really appreciate that. I do also wanna say that there have been many of you that have asked us uh, about ways in which uh, you could uh, support and invest in the, in the Comstock family and you have been doing that already in so many ways. Um, but I, I do wanna also let you know that for those of you who have asked, uh, there's a way in which you can give to the, to, to Calvary. Uh, you don't need to market for the Comstocks or anything like that, but uh, there will be plates set up as you walk out and typical in the manner that we do uh, a benevolent offering and that's basically what this is, is those funds would go into the benevolent offering and uh, to to help uh, fund uh, gifts that we want to provide and are providing uh, for the family. And so that is an opportunity. Now, if you didn't uh, happen to bring in, in, in any cash today or a check or anything like that, remember that you can always do that online as well. The Benevolent Fund is an, op- is an option for you to choose to direct your giving. And so we're simply, for those of you who so desire, and we, again, many of you have asked, uh, asked us and especially talked to Pastor Dan about that, we just encourage you to give in, in that manner if the Lord would direct, okay? Again, we, thanks, uh, we thank you so much for being here. Why don't you stand with me and we'll just uh, dismiss with prayer uh, before we go our ways. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this opportunity to gather together. We thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord, for the gift of your family, the body of Christ. We pray today, Lord, as we go to our separate homes and, and go on about our weeks, that we would be reminded of the, of the truth that we've heard today. And we would also be mindful and, and, uh, and be people who continue to invest uh, specifically into uh, the Comstock family as they walk through these first days of grief. And all these things, Lord, we lift them up to you again through Jesus, our Savior. Amen. God bless you again. Thanks so much. We'll see you soon.